0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yow, yeah, show number 1057. This week on Cars Yow, yeah, I'm promoting the cruise-in at LeMay America's Car Museum Grit City Motor Show, taking place Saturday, June 23rd. I'll be the MC at this fun event. You can learn more at lemaymuseum.org. Excellence, not perfection, but Excellence. <laughs> Hey, Paul, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Yeah, I'm here, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate oh, it. Good to bet. be on with you. Yeah, it's fun. And I'll let our listeners know I had a very delightful breakfast with Paul yesterday morning. This is very rare. I usually don't get to meet many of my guests until later, but he was kind enough. He's in town to visit his dad. Took me out to breakfast here in Gig Harbor. We had a wonderful talk. I think we got to sit there. And hogged up that table for that restaurant the whole
1: day. <laughs> they were wanting to turn the table, I'm sure, but they kept saying, Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I know. We <laughs> but it was well, good. I loved hanging with you. Oh, it, was it was
0: fun. Great. It was great. I really appreciate it. And you get two car guys together, and uh, that's just, that's the end of it. They'll just talk cars forever. So pretty much. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Paul Schmucker is the co host and co creator of Everyday Driver, a YouTube show that focuses on helping people find fun to drive cars that are both usable and affordable. Along with YouTube, Everyday Drive is also a top-ranked podcast and content on Velocity. Paul is a graduate of Arts Center College of Design and worked at Ford Motor Company in Detroit and Kawasaki Motors in Southern California. He's produced design work for Volvo Trucks North America, BMW USA, and Alpine Electronics. He was also a subject matter expert for Autodesk. He's a photographer and cameraman for Everyday Driver, and twice a week, he joins his buddy and co-host Todd Deeker. On the Car Debate podcast, and by the way, Todd is a past guest here on Cars. Yeah, so Paul, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment share a little bit more about you, your career, and a very obvious passion for automobiles?
1: Well, thanks, Mark, and it, nice to be on with you. As you said, I am a product designer by education and experience from Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California, and had the pleasure of working on a lot of different products which, you know, automobiles, cars are really just big, expensive products, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> all the interiors, it's kind of like yacht design or boat design. You're trying to take advantage of all the little nooks and crannies, and then every piece of trim in the interior is in itself a product just put together and assembled. And and so I've taken that product design approach and, like I said, had the experience of working on all kinds of different projects in my design career. And Todd and I started Everyday Driver, 10 years ago, as you said on YouTube, but we are primarily a Velocity television show with everything pointed towards Amazon Prime as well. So it's fun to ramp up and uh, continue on YouTube, but move towards Amazon and Velocity. So it's been fun for us and a lot of work, as you know.
0: Uh, yeah, just a little bit, and you know I'm a little jealous because uh, I just announced the other day that I'm going to be having a TV show on MAV TV. You guys and are, congrats by well, the way. Well, That's thanks, fantastic. but I'm going
1: to be welcome to the TV world. Well, thank
0: you. I'm going to be calling you for advice because I have no idea what I'm <laughs> stepping into here. But you know what? It's all going to be fun. It's great the fact that we, you and I, get to share our passion with other people and uh, help them along the way is what it's all about. So, Heck yeah, very cool. Yeah. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So, Paul, take the wheel.
1: Aristotle, I believe it was Aristotle, that said, we are what we repeatedly do. Mm. Excellence, therefore, is not an act but a habit. And it's something, a quote that I saw early on, actually in high school, it was part of my sister's swim team. They printed up shirts for their team for that year. And I saw it on there and I thought, wow, that is what I aspire to in my life. And I had that printed underneath my photo in my high school yearbook. So it's been with me since middle of high school. And that's always been a mantra of mine, a a saying, I've enjoyed it. And I've always come back to, all right. All right excellence, not perfection, but excellence. And always tried to do that, whether it's design work or being hosting on camera or hosting our own podcast, the car debate on uh, iTunes as well. That's been my, my own thinking, my own foundation.
0: Yeah. You know, it's a common thing because you think about. I, I think of music. I grew up. I took guitar lessons when I was a kid. I learned from kind Did of you a, really. Yeah, no I kidding. learned from kind of an old school master. The guy would make you do all the scales. You know, I just wanted to learn some rock songs, but nope. Yeah, <laughs> like, just learn. teach me a cool song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just play that exactly. Yeah, but we had to learn all the scales before we could start to put chords and notes together and things. And I didn't realize at the time the importance. But what he was doing is just what you're talking about: practice, practice, practice. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, right? So yeah, yeah so, yeah, sure. so give me an example of how that great mantra quote works for what you're doing now.
1: Oh, man. In everything we do, Everyday Driver for us has been about quality, not quantity, even though now over the years, as I said, being on YouTube for 11 years, the podcast for four, and we're working towards our third season on Velocity. So by the time you hear this, we're coming up on July 7th, 2018, which is our season three debut, Saturday morning at 7.30 Eastern. And that'll be season three. But we come back to the quality part of it, Todd and I, you know, our faces are out there just as you are. You're a public persona and a a public figure. We didn't want anything that we do to be less than what we consider worthy of of what we're doing. We didn't want to take shortcuts. And it's the hard choice, believe me. And I know you know that, Mark. But it's harder to do things right and to get the camera shot that you think, ah, man, I could just do this real quick and get the shot. But it's not going to be quite as good. Nope. Let's break out the tripods. Let's break out the jib. Let's you know get the shot and do it right and take the time. And ultimately, that has left us with better quality content, what we consider to be evergreen content. People are still searching for Honda S two thousands and Nissan three hundred ZX's and still find that early content. And I'm thinking, wow, you've, you found our early content. Thank you for watching. and And they've commented, said it's been consistent throughout the years, which is what we want. We've grown and shaped ourselves as hosts and personalities and continually revealing more about ourselves on camera. And and it's been a lot of fun doing that. But we've always come back to the quality of what do we want viewers to come away with and think of Everyday Driver, the brand itself, and that is quality. And that's how it shaped it.
0: Well, it's a wonderful way and it's the right way, I believe, to go through life and business because today so many people do things so fast and somewhat reckless and And crude, especially on YouTube and even podcasters. And you just go, you don't even care enough to take a moment and just try a little harder, make it a little bit better. And I think it's because a lot of the social media these days tends to be thought of as throwaway. It's a quick snippet and it's done, but you're right. People go back and they find your old work and they judge you on that work. and everything's out there to be found well, that we've all I'll ever give you done. An
1: example. Yeah. Agreed. So I'll give you an example. And that is you're watching a shot and this has happened actually on grand tour and top gear. And I'm not calling them out as a, uh, you know, this is an unforgivable, unforgivable thing. But what we see is the production vehicles and the production crew in the background of the shot. And the shot is very quick and it goes by and you're mainly just looking at the car. But then you think, I just saw the entire crew in the background of the actual beauty shot. Come on, reframe the shot, take the time to get the people out of there and reframe the shot and make it nice. It's stuff like that that adds up. Yes. And you know, you think okay, you took the time and you're doing it right, but it's extra effort. It's it you know. Is. Yeah. It just is. So I'd say that's a good, you know, we see the, you know, we're looking at the background of the shot and think, ah, there's the production vehicle. There's the, oh, you see the, you know, tripod by the side of the road. Oh yeah. Well, could you get that out of the shot, please? You know, Yeah. yeah. simple things like that, but it's extra work.
0: It is extra work, uh, but it means a lot. That's for sure. So I I love the way you guys operate and what you're doing. Uh, Very nice high standards. Well, let's have you share a story that instigated your personal passion for cars. I know we got to spend some time eating breakfast yesterday morning, but so I know some of these answers already because we talked about it, but the, the listeners don't. So tell us about a pivotal moment in your life when you knew you were indeed a car guy. Oh man, it
1: was early on as it is for most of us. You know, we start playing with the matchbox and the hot wheels and that kind of thing. But what happened was I ended up starting to draw cars very early in life. So early in fact, that I was drawing on the walls of my parents' house (laughs) down low on the walls. And my mother was always of the mindset, you know what? I can buy a coat of paint and paint over that. I can scrub that off, but I'm not going to Squander or kill my son's desire and talent. Okay, he's drawing the wall. I'm gritting my teeth. Yes, it bothers me, but you know what? Go ahead and draw. Just keep going. And she always nurtured that design talent and that design desire in my own life. And so it started with drawing, you know, cars in the margins of my math notebook. I'm drawing superchargers on top of <laughs> Hot Wheels cars, and the teacher comes by, and you know, aren't aren't we in algebra right now? I thought this was algebra class, and I'm going.
0: It doesn't look like an equation. Well, it is the drag coefficient of the wing of the front of the car in correlation to, yeah, (laughs) you get it. It's, it's for
1: research. It's science. It's in the name of science. And so I was always doing that and being encouraged by all my teachers, especially my parents. And, continuing to be encouraged by that. And then of course, breaking her things because I was always taking things apart and not really putting them back together (laughs) and taking it apart and thinking, okay, so that's how it works. And then of course, moved on to cars and started taking them apart. Okay. So that's how the supercharger works. That's how that thing works, you know? Cool. So it's, it's been encouraged, like I said, so it's, it's hard grit your teeth, but you know, it's don't stifle that in your own kids and your own, you know, peers, that kind of thing.
0: Let them draw on the walls. Let them play in the mud. Let them eat exactly. the mud. You know, I mean, exactly. it's just, yeah, you never know what you could be stifling. I mean, it's uh, it's wonderful. So fortunate you. I know you have great parents. And uh, in fact, your dad lives up here near me in Geek Harbor. We-
1: he cool. does so, he yeah. does it's nice to come up here and be in the Pacific Northwest, as does my family, my sister and and her husband and kids and and they're up this way, so it's nice to come back up here yeah. and a lot of a lot of connections up here too
0: well, and this time of year is great, and uh by the way, tomorrow morning there's the exotics at Redmond town Center, kind of a cool show, and actually, we're recording this a few weeks out, so maybe confusing some listeners, but uh, there's a cool car show up in Redmond you might want to go to in the morning, fun nice, so, yeah. Well, Paul, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the many challenges that you've faced uh maybe uh, talk about a big failure or even a challenge, something that really kind of pushed you hard. Tell us what you did about that and tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum as you moved forward in your career or your business or your life.
1: Well, consider my background in education, and that was always drawing cars as we 've talked about, and then going to art center to be a transportation design major. And really industrial design is combining the manufacturing knowledge with the art and design of the product. If you design something and it can't be manufactured to be sold at a reasonable price to make money, guess what? You're an artist. (laughs) It's like doing a thousand sketches for a dollar each or one painting for a thousand dollars. The difference between a designer and an artist. And there's a lot of crossover. But as a designer, you have to understand how things are made and the fact that people actually make the thing that you're drawing, that, that you're designing. So you have to understand the production process back in your mind here to be able to be a successful designer. And so that's, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a car designer. And there are many people, and I count many friends and classmates as designers in studios around the world. As a matter of fact, one of my friends, he is now the design director for Infinity Design. He lives in Tokyo now. And I'm, you know, I I have a lot of friends at at various, you know, automotive startups, that kind of thing. So I I always saw myself there. At this point in my life, it has not happened. And so, you know, I thought I would get to a place in my automotive design career where I could have a concept car attributed to me, you know, sort of you know, the ego thing all about me. There's, that's my sketch. That's my concept car. When in reality, that concept car and that sketch and the ultimate manifestation at a car show was a lot of people contributed to that. A lot of people helped the design or shape the design because you saw somebody else's sketch and you use that element and change it in a different way and kind of came up with a cool sketch and, and that sort of thing. But think about this. If I worked for a car company, Todd and I couldn't do the show. I couldn't work for Audi and say, Audis are the best. I'm on camera, you know. Well, of course, you work for Audi or whatever. Name the car company. And so what I had done is focused on other products, which I can attribute my name to, from watches. I love watches and had the pleasure of designing watches for Casio G-Shock. I did furniture for a long time, which I'm endlessly intrigued about from materials and and furniture just in itself as an object of beauty, electronics, fitness equipment, all kinds of product design, and other vehicles as well, off-road vehicles and and watercraft and that kind of thing. And so I turned my attention to that thinking, you know what, Todd and I couldn't do the show if I were a car designer at a car company. But having the background and now experience to be able to talk about that, that's why I talk about it so much on the podcast. I love design questions when people write to us and say, hey, what about this design philosophy? Or I talk about it on camera and I I talk about the interior design and, and maybe the exterior. Well, a brighter color works on that because of the simpler, clean surfaces. And you know what? That car is probably going to age well long term. And it's such a great car. You may consider that over the next model because... You can get it cheaper, and it's a great car, and it looks great over, You know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. That's why we love old cars. You know, they, They're just beautiful, simpler, clean designs that are designed that way because of the manufacturing techniques that were available, but also because of just the beauty and style of art deco or whatever was fashionable at the time. And so considering all that, that's where I put my design career now, and I, I pour that into the show. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Wonderful. Well, I envy you a bit because I love design and to get to work on so many different product designs and not just be kind of uh, straddled with one. And I've had lots of designers on the show where they'll talk about that. They've worked on what, like a glove box for a car. For for a year, a glove box. Welcome
1: to trim or welcome to the interior door panel on the new Ford whatever for three months. Uh, The next three months of your life are that. Yeah,
0: yeah. That could be a little. (laughs) Cool, sexy, fun
1: stuff. I mean, come on. Yeah. And it's not reality. It just isn't.
0: No. And then the bean counters and the engineers look at what you did and said, we can't do that. Are you crazy? Yeah. And it all gets kind of um, milked down, if you will, or diluted. Well, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. It's kind of one of those times where you go, ah, yes, this is the path I need to go down. Tell us about one of yours.
1: It really was, like I said, you know, attributing design functions. And I thought, well, I I want to be able to understand the things that I have designed and that I've now contributed to from working at Autodesk, being in all the studios and helping people use technology to be able to evaluate a design. But then I thought, I want to take that further and then you know being able to talk about the design language of a car on the show it's not often that journalists can say hey i'm i'm talking about this car and stop using the word sleek it's more than just a sleek shape it's it relates to you because why? The things that we have in our life, the art we put on our walls, the glasses we wear, the clothing we put on, the watch you wear, all says something about you. And so now relating this experience to why you should buy a particular car or why a car appeals to you. And that helps us in our car debate, which is our podcast, and helping people decide. And it comes back to, like you said, helping people figure out what car they should buy next. And Todd and I have always started the show with that line of thinking and then, all right aesthetics definitely play a role and you know how that integrates into the price and why some cars are considered more beautiful and the most beautiful cars don't have to be the most expensive cars either they're not one and the same i give the example of a 299 toothbrush can have excellent brilliant design it doesn't have to be a yacht for the sultan of brunei it doesn't have to be the most expensive blue sky unlimited budget kind of project to get the best design out of something and so i i come back to that with uh, you know what I can still continue my design career by virtue of appreciating other designers, knowing them as my friends and talking to them and saying, what inspired you here? Well, now I get to drive that. I've been to design studios and I say, have you have you driven the, the new Tesla or, you know, the new car and they say, no, you know, management hasn't allowed us to drive it yet. I'm going, you're kidding me. <laughs> yeah. Management hasn't allowed you to drive the creation you just helped build and you know, conceive what, what? on earth? How are you, you know, inspired to continue going and that kind of thing? And so, being able to do this through the show is is a massive, uh, I guess, resolution in my life. But it still continues on through just by knowing peers and and having that as a background.
0: The giant aha! Very cool. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special car. That first car that you got that really had great meaning for you, and maybe a memory you have about that vehicle. Oh,
1: man. It was a 1988 Porsche 928 S4, mm. black with tan leather, 54,000 miles that I bought one month before September 11th, 2001. Oh. And think of suddenly everybody's, you know, the wallets are shutting, nobody's buying or selling anything. Everybody right. just doesn't know what's going to happen with the economy. And here I am going, wait, I just bought a fast, expensive Porsche and Oh, man. And my job was eliminated at that point that I was working for another industrial design company, small firm at that point. And I thought, all right, now what's going to happen? I ended up having it for three years. And as a matter of fact, I had my mother in that car riding with me before she passed away unexpectedly. And uh, I also took it to Palm Springs to visit my dad and had uh, a lot of memories. You know, my, my mom was never... Uh, familiar or, you know, she always accused me of having, you know, the champagne taste and and beer budget. And I said, mom, you're right. It, it looks like that. <laughs> yeah. I guess I just appreciate good quality design and I'd rather buy the more expensive thing and have it longer.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: My, because yeah. Uh, I mean, you
0: know that. My dad taught me that lesson. He said, you know what, if you just wait and save up and buy what you really want instead of the instant gratification and settling, in the long run you'll always be much happier. So wait, save up until you can pay cash and get what you really want. And it might take a day, could take a year, could take 5 years.
1: I mean, it's hard to do that with things like houses, you know, you got a mortgage and I get that. It's hard for anybody to just save up for a house and pay cash yeah. unless you're fantastically rich. But yeah, from a car buying perspective or, you know, even just products in your life, I think all right, I'd rather get that better thing, have it longer and take care of it longer. And I think that's more gratification. So this car definitely represents that. It got me being a Porsche fan. I was always kind of digging them. And I'd put together the tester's model kits as a kid, you know, and painted them and customized them and that kind of thing. But then when I had the opportunity, that was my first car. And I, I loved it. I still miss it, as a matter of fact.
0: Yeah, there's pretty special cars back way back when I lived in San Diego. Porsche had a thing called the Porsche driving experience. And They would go to a place and bring out all their new models, and they'd invite people they hoped were going to buy new cars to come and drive, and they would kind of pilot you with one of their instructors. And somehow my name got a list. At the time, I could no sooner buy a new Porsche than than a new Ferrari (laughs) or anything else, but I had said I wasn't going to deny the invitation. And you'll never guess who they paired me with. Oh, I don't know. Vic Elford. Oh, you're kidding me. The Vic Elford. I could not believe it. And Long story short, the 928 was a fairly new car back then, and that was one of the cars they let us drive. And I really wasn't that interested in them because it, they looked a little funky and, you know, the engine was in the wrong place and there wasn't <laughs> enough oil in the car and all those reasons that us diehard 911 guys. Funny. However, when I got in that car, Vic looked at me and he said, you're going to like this car. And I said, <laughs> no, I don't think so. And he goes, you're going to like this car. And I did. It was awesome. It was really, oh really gosh. nice.
1: Yeah, very nice. Oh, so. my gosh. Just to have that experience. Oh, I gosh, mean, yeah. With the man. I know. You know?
0: And I, he's been a guest on the show, and it's so funny when I had him back on Cars Yeah here, I reminded him of that, and you could tell he was kind of like trying to remember, because how many people is he sat next to? A billion? <laughs> sure. You know, and I think he was just being kind to me and said, I remember you. I'm like, yeah, right. But, uh, <laughs> sure you, I, know. you know, I I just said you made an impression on me because of that car and the way you helped me drive it differently than a 911. So. Uh, yeah, very cool, 928, very cool. I love it. Well, how about Seller's Remorse? Is there a vehicle you've let go that you really wish you had back? Is it that car?
1: It's that, I'd say. I've had uh, a couple of Caymans since. I currently got a 2015 Cayman GTS, Ooh. but before that, I had a 20, 2007 Cayman S, which I loved. It got me, I, I will have a 911 in my life at some point. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I've discovered Caymans. Yeah. The brilliance of the mid-engine, and it's still that beautiful Porsche sound, and i uh I do come back to the nine twenty eight though. I miss it and I, I needed the money. I had to sell it. I sold it for fifteen grand. And I think the nine twenty-eights are on their way up now. Well,
0: finally, think, it's only taken thirty-five years.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course, the nice ones are super duper expensive, but I think nine twenty eights in general is sort of they made a lot of them. They did. They made like sixty thousand cars over the lifespan of the of the vehicle. And uh, it needed new engine mounts for two thousand oh, yeah. dollars. And that's the car that taught me to change my own oil and do the, you know, do my own brakes because, you know, the independent Porsche dealers would see you coming a mile away and think, all right, my boat payment's done for the month. (laughs) Exactly. I learned to do my own work on that 928. And then apparently the 928 can use Ford F-150 engine mounts. That are much cheaper. No kidding! Wow. <laughs> I, apparently, don't quote me on that. I could be <laughs> wrong, but somebody on the forum was saying, "Yeah, just you know, replace them with F one hundred and fifty truck mounts, and it'll work fine." And I thought, wow. if only I'd known that uh, instead yeah. of the OEM part, that was the problem
0: was. with those cars, and still is parts. It's it's like the big seven series BMWs or the big S class Mercedes. All the parts are massively expensive, and the cars depreciated so much that a lot of people just. Didn't want to fix them anymore. They just let them go. And uh
1: eight fifty BMW V12. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, awesome car. Wow, I'm sorry for your maintenance. Yeah, you know?
0: it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, how about today, tomorrow, the future? What has you excited and fired up right now?
1: Oh man, the the um, what I mentioned before is our really a transition and and focus on television for us, and that is Velocity Channel season three. Like I said before, that is starting July seventh, Saturday, seven thirty a.m. Eastern. I know that's early on uh, any other time zone, Pacific time zone especially. But if you do have Velocity Channel, set your DVR, and uh, we would love for you to see that. But that season will also be going to Amazon Prime, joining our first two seasons on Amazon Prime, which you can find. And we've got films. What really kind of turned both Todd and I to films was the 9-11, the 50th anniversary of the 9-11 back in 2013. And we thought, all right, everybody's probably going to produce some sort of giant film on the 9-11 to celebrate it. Surprising to us, not even Porsche did a huge retrospective. We were the only ones that celebrated it, and we drove all the generations, put them on camera, and thought, all right, we're making a full feature-length film, which now has transitioned into a film every year. So, since then, we've done adventure road trips. We've gone to the Nürburgring and Spa-Francorchamps tracks in Germany and Belgium, and we did the icons. The M3 is the icon, you know, all the generations of the BMW M3. And so, this year, we're going to be shooting probably around the September time frame for a December film release. And I won't tell you until the film comes out. I won't tell you the uh, the mark, but it'll be pretty cool. I think it'll be very well appreciated and, and watched. And so, the 2018 film is coming up. And now, we're partnering with Chassis Media, the film production arm of Adam Carolla, who has produced a, a number of films. And so, they're wanting to distribute us internationally for our films. And you know, they said pretty much anything in Porsche that that'll you know people will like that worldwide, and we kind of figure having driven all of the 911s back to back, there might be more people who have summited Mount Everest than have driven all the 911s.
0: <laughs> wow, that's saying something.
1: <laughs> I mean, we're we're guessing. We could be wrong. Yeah. We're just thinking this was pretty special and rare, and it's still watched and it's still talked about, you know, right. five years ago now, which is crazy. Wow. But, you know, we thought, ah, everybody will do that. Surprising. Nobody did. Even Porsche put together an eight minute YouTube film and just kind of pulled some own, some old archival footage. Mm-hmm. But we actually took the time to drive them. And so that has set another standard and added to our workload. But it's something that we can point to as, hey, we're just focusing on this one mark whatever that is, and producing a full feature-length film. Oh, I can't wait. Fun.
0: Yeah. So. Oh, it's fantastic. Well, you let me know as soon as it's ready to come out so I can share that with all my followers and listeners. You are having fun, my friend. That is so cool. I love it. And, you, you of course, you mentioned the BMW M3. Uh, you know I've got one of those. That's just, oh, I love those cars, too, along with the 911s. They're just so much fun. Oh, Yeah, yeah great yeah. cars. Yeah. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Paul. If you were a vehicle, what would Paul be and why?
1: Hmm, I'm a kind of
0: guy, well, I've got
1: many flaws. I'm not the prettiest and I'm independent. I've got unwillingness to start up in the mornings. You know, I've (laughs) got to be coaxed. But I would say my tastes, I admit, I love beautiful design. I love discerning styling and small details that surprise and delight. My tastes are definitely towards the higher end of things, as I mentioned before, and I admit that but i love good deals too and i love finding good deals for all of our listeners on the on the car debate and so i think all right i love the power and speed and crisp handling and light cars but i do like some comfort too and so now that the 911 is could be considered a gt car with its growth in size just as the you know the base models even though they're not base in price right But, you know, the GT3 models aside, I think, all right, I'm still leaning towards GT cars. I do love GT cars. So if I were a car, I'd probably be that 928 or maybe a Daytona Coupe like the 69 Ferrari 365 Daytona Coupe Mm -hmm. or a Gullwing Mercedes or an Aston Martin Vantage, somewhere in there where there's still lots of power, speed, beauty. I love the longer stretched out shapes that you can, you know, really create some beautiful surfaces. Oh, yeah. And I'd, I'm hoping Porsche comes back with like a 929, maybe something like that. <laughs> you never that know. Brings that back as much as I love the 911. And it, it is so diverse. As you know, it can be a track car. It can be a GT car. It can be your only car. Yep. It's one of the reasons I love it so much. And I could talk endlessly about 911s. But maybe in the GT car side of things would be would be me.
0: There you go. Nicely, Nicely said. I like it. Well, Paul, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's car show yeah sponsors. Everyone who knows me knows I'm really picky when it comes to my cars and keeping them looking new. I'm a huge fan of Covercraft floor mats. I've protected my vehicle with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft floor mats. They will protect your vehicle's factory carpets from daily abuse, weather, pets, children, weekend adventures, and those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and stylish way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft floor mats come in a wide variety of styles, materials, and configurations, all designed for maximum protection. In addition to Premier plush and Berber custom floor mats, you'll also find cargo liners, canine cargo area liners, dash covers, and sunscreens. Enhance your vehicle's looks while protecting the factory finishes with easy-to-install and easy-to-clean floor mats. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at covercraft.com and tell a market cars yeah sent you. That's covercraft.com. Hey, this is Mark Green. Are you interested in selling online and building a sustainable business? Bonanza is a marketplace platform that empowers you to create your dream business. Getting started at Bonanza is easy. You can start fresh or import your items from other marketplaces like Amazon, eBay, Etsy, or Shopify. Auto parts and accessories are a high-performance category at Bonanza, and there's no risk involved in signing up. There are no listing fees or monthly fees. You pay only when you make the sale. Bonanza listens to seller feedback and uses it to improve tools and build new features, so there are tons of customization options for sellers no matter what the size of your business. Be sure to sign up using the link bonanza.com cars Yeah, and you'll receive a free consultation with Bonanza experts who makes sure that you are on your way to generating sales. That's bonanza.com slash cars. Yeah. Okay, Paul, we're back and we're entering the last lap. You've been on plenty of tracks. You know what that means? The white flag is out. Time for us to put our foot into it. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, kind of a lightning round, and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: Mm, it was actually from my friend and co-host Todd. And it was early on selling cars, whether it be the Cayman or the 928 or others. And he said, you know what? You don't have to dislike a car to get rid of it. And that was personal advice to me. And I thought, you know, you're right. I still love it, but I'm having to get rid of it for name a reason. I need money. I'm moving. I'm, you know, whatever the reason is but it's been a mantra for now. I've kind of adopted that. And then that's something that we tell our listeners on the podcast and say, all right, you're wanting to move on. You don't have to hate your car to be completely done with it, to be in a mindset of selling. You don't have to be there. You don't have to go all the way there. And maybe you'll have another one in your life at some point. Maybe you'll want to come back to it, but your needs have changed because of family or moving or whatever that is. And you need to change cars. So, all right, you've got to get rid of it for now, but that doesn't mean it will be the only one in your life and you don't have to hate it to get rid of it. Jeez, where were you years ago? You (laughs) could have helped
0: me had a lot more cars, I think. (laughs) Could have helped
1: myself, I'll be honest. I think so. Pointed at me too.
0: (laughs) Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years?
1: Definitely being well-researched and taking the time to engage personally with people and fans of the show. It's due to our fans that has made the growth of our show possible.
0: Yep, absolutely. Very important. Now, there's a lot of great resources, including your shows, your podcasts. Is there a resource that you go to quite often that you'd like to share with the carsia audience?
1: Well, there's many resources, and it has a lot to do with car shopping and buying. But I'm going to take a turn, and that is because of my product design background and my love for finely crafted and fun ideas, You know, new things. There's a site called discommon.com, and they, they are a group of folks. They develop products for Various brands, and they've got this coffee table on there that is a machined aluminum coffee table wow. with a car rising from the surface, like out of this puddle of molten oh, aluminum. Yeah. And it's probably really expensive, yeah, and yeah. I don't need it, but I <laughs> desperately want it. And they just have cool stuff. I like the wow, that's a cool product. Where'd you get that? And it says something about your discerning taste. Right. And so it's one of those sites where they don't make too many of these products, but you know, it's sort of like, wow, it makes you take notice. And then you get into conversations about other cool stuff that you.
0: Oh, my gosh. Now, you know, you brought me to another one I'm going to want to go to and I can't afford. But <laughs> spell that for me so that I understand where to find it.
1: That is D-I-S-C-O-M-M-O-N. So Discommon.com, sort of like uncommon, but it's Discommon.com. Discommon.
0: Nice. Oh, man, that's first place I'm going and we hang up here. Now, if I could arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that person be?
1: One of my heroes is a guy named Paul Newman. Mm -hmm. And Adam Carolla actually produced a film called The Racing Life of Paul Newman. Oh, yeah. And he just did such an excellent job because he did want to be known as a race car driver and a massive philanthropist. And by the way, he dabbled with acting occasionally.
0: Yeah, just a little bit.
1: He never wanted to be known as an actor. And that was made clear in the film. And I thought, I I didn't know that. You know, everybody associates him with acting and with Robert Redford and all the films that he did. And he was brilliant. But that disinterested him more than racing And he didn't start until late in life, which is also impressive. But I would say mostly his philanthropy and and just he had so many diverse interests. And I'd I'd love to pick his brain.
0: Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be fantastic? I see him every night when I I eat my salad. He's on my salad dressing (laughs) bottle. That's true. Yeah. But, you uh, you know, he's kind of up there with uh, Steve McQueen kind of guy who loves all the sports. And acting was a ways to the means. And even – James Garner, in a sense. I mean, people don't True, realize how it. much he loved racing and, and how important that was in his life and how much he got involved. And even the Smothers Brothers, those guys did some racing, too. Maybe not at the level of Paul or or Chad or Steve. I was thinking of Chad because he was just on the show here. But, uh, oh, nice. Very cool. Well, how about a book? Is there a book you've read that you think our listeners would really enjoy? Well, you've heard
1: me talk about design and appreciating quality objects. And there's a book written in 1977 by a designer, George Nelson, who was considered one of the contributors and founders to American modernism. And the book is called How to See. And it's really more than just a visual appreciation book. And you can find it on Amazon and read the description. But it's called How to See. And it really gives you more insight into when you look at an object, why are you. Attracted or not attracted to it and and your relationship to that object and then how that influences your own design sensibilities and then begin to understand everything in the world around you. And so I apply that and go farther towards cars, as we know, I've talked about, but I I apply that kind of thinking towards cars and I I look at cars longer and I study them and, and appreciate and I start to see people's decisions behind the reasons of why does it look like that? Why... Did you choose that? Because there's so many choices that could be made that it would be totally different. And I, I want to know how to, you know, gain more insight into the product or the object or whatever that is.
0: Yeah, I gave my son that book when he got into uh, RISD, Rhode Island School of Design. Yeah, to design school. school. I thought that'd be a great book for him. But, you know, speaking of the whys, and why does the Pontiac Aztec look like that?
1: Too many cooks, my friend. Oh, Too many cooks.
0: Bad cooks too. Sorry, no offense, but oh my gosh, you just kind of shake your head and oh, go, "Who stamped approval on that one?" Well, listeners, you could. Before I get in more trouble here, you can find all these great resources Paul has shared on his CarsYa yeah show notes page. Just go to carsya dot com, type in Paul Schmucker S C H M U C K E R into the search bar because I've had quite a few Pauls on the show. You'll find this page and all these cool references, including that uh, very very awesome book, by the way. All right, Paul, we're up to the checkered flag in this last question. It can be a bit of a doozy, but it's fun. Today, I'm buying you any cool collector car in the world. Money's no object, but here are the rules. You can only have one. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with, because I just saw today somebody bought a $70 million Ferrari GTO. I saw that, too. Yeah. $70 million for that thing. Yep. Actually, that was uh, was Mr. David McNeil, McNeil car a uh, giant. Who paid that much for that car? But you know, I have a feeling in the long run that's going to be a good investment. Those things, yeah, probably things just never stop going up. At any rate, let's go back to your car, though. What's it going to be, and why? Well, I see you on
1: your page there, sitting in that number eighteen fifty-seven Ferrari two hundred and fifty oh, Testarossa, which yeah. I love. Yeah, I, I mean, that sold for what sixteen million and change in twenty eleven, yeah. and just. Gorgeous car, and I love the cycle-fendered look and the beautiful coachwork. But I'm going earlier to a Mercedes-Benz 540K. Oh, my goodness. Which is a car that stops me every time I see it. The presence and size of the car and those gigantic fenders and just the entire swept-back nature of this car. Damn. There's delicate features to it. There's big, bold features to it. It's so in your face, and I'm I'm just astounded every time I see one of these things. So maybe that or a 300 SL, but the the SL just seems too easy. So <laughs> I'm going the 540K. They were they were 1936, like late 30s, yeah. somewhere in there. Uh huh.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Of those cars. They're yeah, I think beautiful. they were. I think they were made between 36 and 40, and uh, of course German. And I can never say the designer's name. Friedrich. I think it's Geiger. Is that Geiger? Geiger. Are you sure? Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay, Geiger. <laughs> I'll just yeah, say yes. the Geiger count. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the designer. But yeah, when you, you, I'm kind of surprised that you picked a, that car, not because it isn't incredibly beautiful and stunningly designed, but you know, it's old school, big, rolling fenders, giant. I have no idea what it's like to drive. I've never had the pleasure of driving one. I'll bet you it's pretty cool in a straight line. But being <laughs> right. a, being a 911 guy, but I think being a design guy kind of makes sense for you how i know you what color would you like in that car because this is going to set it apart here
1: Oh, it'd have to be the red color that i've seen it in at yeah. pebble beach yep. yeah uh, just astounding car and you think what is that i know yeah it's enormous and just it just evokes things about it you look at various shapes and you think wow that time period and what was going on in the world at that time and They still made that. Right. You
0: know, can you imagine going into the showroom and saying, I want that and driving it home? (laughs) No, no. That would be astounding. It would. Well, Paul, you've taken us on a great ride today. Really enjoyed getting to know you even better, even after breakfast yesterday, which was great fun. Thanks for sharing your automotive journey with the CarShout listeners and me. Would you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you head off into the sunset in the mountains there in Utah. Wouldn't that be nice in that 540K?
1: Oh, yeah. I'd love that. Uh, well, there's a thought that's permeating me lately, and that is think about the people that you have known in your life, and you've known them more for the accomplishments in their lives after age 40 or after age 45 or 50. You know, sort of the g- general halfway point of most people's lives. But something, somebody who did something physically challenging or invented an amazing product or started a business, you know, we, we live in this, as you said before, it's just this instant culture. And now Silicon Valley is minting 20-somethings who are billionaires right away. And we think, all right, well, I'm way past age 30, and I haven't invented my app or my internet company and haven't sold it off for $600 million, so... You know, I guess I've my time's passed. Not so at all. I do not subscribe to that line of thinking. I mean, talk about adventurers Richard Branson or Randall Fines, Sir Randall Fines, a matter of fact, astronauts like John Glenn, who went back into space at age 77, pilots like Chuck Yeager, entertainers like Jay Leno, and definitely philanthropists like Paul Newman. Think about these people and you know them. You say a name and you think, you know what? I know them for their accomplishments well after age 50 or 45, you know what I mean? And it just, it's so opposite of where we're at now with the, well, you know, made made your first million before you're 25 kind of thinking, no, (laughs) I, I think there's so much to life and so much more ahead of us. And these are the thoughts that permeate my own thinking and age is nothing but a number
0: there are so many great opportunities today even more so i think than any time in the past to put yourself out there be creative do things in ways and it's a lot less expensive than you think you can actually Mm -hmm. do it you can even be an old guy like me and start a podcast and end up on tv or i know paul you're a lot younger than me so i'm not going to categorize you in my age group (laughs) but uh But yeah, it's possible. And I think those are great inspirational words. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and follow along with you and Todd? The website,
1: everydaydriver.com, is the main place for all of our content right there. If you want to write to us with your own car debate for the Car Debate podcast, that is everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. You can also find us on the website and contact us through the website. But you can find our podcast on iTunes. That is the Car Debate podcast. And you can also come, a, I'll say it once again, coming up on July 7th, 2018 is our third season on Velocity. And I'll be honest, Todd and I are really excited about the diversity of this season. It's kind of caught us by surprise we're driving the latest brand new tech we're driving some old school cars we did some rock crawling in moab utah that a trip that just came about and was very unexpected it's going to turn out with some of the shots we're right in utah we're about three and a half hours to the north of moab and we thought Let's go to Moab. Let's turn that into a TV episode. So there's a lot of diversity. It's stretching us as hosts. And we're already talking about season four on Velocity for 2019. We'll see. We're we're already thinking about episodes and starting to plan. And, of course, the film for uh, shooting in September and then release in 2018, December 2018, probably for the Christmas time. By the time it gets filmed and edited and mixed and all that stuff. So there's a lot going on for us. We're looking at continually expanding the brand. And Mark, can't thank you enough for having me on. Oh, this really has
0: been great. It. You are busy guys. Wow, thought I was busy. You guys are uh, putting me to shame. I got to up my game here. So <laughs> no,
1: you're you're amazing. I'm I'm really thrilled for the MAV TV for you, oh, and, and I'm just thrilled. It's going to be awesome, and and can't wait to see it at, at Monterey Pebble Beach weekend. Oh, That's yeah. going to be fun. Oh yeah, we'll be um, all those uh, and
0: Rent Sport. Don't forget Rennsport. Yes, Rennsport's <laughs> coming up. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Of I, course, I Porsche guys, we are. The, you got to go there. The holy grail of, of all Porsche events. Only to be aligned maybe with Lufticult, uh, which we just had. But of course, Rennsport's got a racetrack attached, so that makes it even cooler. This is true. Ah, okay. what fun. Well, listeners, and I'll be
1: back for breakfast. You know, we'll go to breakfast <laughs> you, again.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything we've talked about here today on Paul's show notes page. Just go to com. Type in Paul Schmucker and you'll find everything he shared with us. Paul, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the Show listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road.
1: Thanks, Mark. Sure, appreciate it. Looking forward to next time. My pleasure.
0: What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage